right, so today we're going to look in Matthew chapter 27, verses 11 to 31. And I want to speak on a subject that maybe people weren't expecting. That's okay. I was trying to uh, ask God to show, ask God to give me what's needed for us today. And I think it's something that we that I'm going to speak out. We we tend to struggle with, and I want to help us with it today. And it is around the account of the resurrection. Uh, pardon me, of the crucifixion. So listen, Matthew 27. We're going to read verses 11 to 31. We're in the middle of Jesus had just been betrayed. Um, he is being passed along to. Uh, the, the Sanhedrin, the, the high priest, they're examining him, finding nothing wrong. He's going to Herod, finding nothing wrong by Herod. He went to Pilate a couple times. Pilate finds nothing wrong. The Jews insist on him being crucified. And I want to show you a particular uh, lesson that we're going to learn out of this crucifixion account here, okay? But let's just read a greater part of it, Matthew 27, verses 11 to 31, and I hope... Our uh, message will help everybody today. Notice there, and Jesus stood, Matthew 27, verse 11, it says, And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. That means, of course. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things these witness against thee? And he answered him, to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at that feast, the governor was wont, that means accustomed, to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they then had a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, <clears throat> Will ye that I release unto you? Whom will ye that I release unto you? Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. And when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain we that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it? Then answered all the people and, and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the, mount, into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. When they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took, a, took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put on his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. 
We'll stop there. I don't know, a couple years ago, we came here on a Sunday morning at our church, and there was, uh, I came early and I smelled something, and I was like, oh, that smells like natural gas. And so some of you remember this, as, and we, I think it was like 8.30 or something, we're supposed to have class, Bible class at 9.30. And I'm like, well, I can't take a chance on us coming in here, and there's a you know, the natural gas smell, we're all in here, yay, let's have church today, and there's a spark, and we all get singed. <laughs> uh, so we, we stayed out, we didn't have, you know, Bible class, I don't even know, we may have even started church late, the 1030 service, and I had a Southwest Gas guy come, and he went in here in the kitchen, there was a, the water heater, and he checked the fitting, and something wasn't fit right, and he corrected it for us, we aired out the building, I think this was in the summer, actually, it was kind of hot. We aired out the building and made sure everything was clear, and he sniffed things around, and it was fine. And uh, we came and assembled, and it was safe. Um, you know, in this story, something is building up inside of people that's toxic. When you go back to this account here of Matthew, and you see these chief priests, uh, the elders, you see the common people that have been hearing Jesus for three years, something was, some toxic thing was building in them. Jesus, for three years up to this point, had spent a lot of time in front of all the Jews of his nation, different types. You got the, the poor person, you got the, the sinner, you got the publican, the tax collector who's despised, you got the rich people, you got uh, men, women, children, you got the Sanhedrin, who's the religious ruling class, you have the Sadducees, which were part of that, you have the Pharisees, which was kind of a left-wing, right-wing group of their religious uh, government there and he's preaching and teaching to all of them he's exposed to all of them here and there for three years and a lot of the common people a handful of the common people believed him um, very very few pharisees maybe no sadducees believed him a few rich not many and but what was really happening in the ruling class something was building up in them something toxic was was accumulating inside it was accumulating for, like I said, about three years. If you follow the, uh, how he was interacting with the, these uh, Sadducees. You see, Jesus would preach and teach and heal people. And most people got happy about it, but some didn't. Uh, some weren't happy that somebody was healed. You'd think, that's weird. Jesus would uh, you know, raise somebody from the dead, and most people get happy about it, but some weren't. Uh, a man was in a synagogue one time. He had a withered hand. It wasn't working. <laughs> and uh, Jesus called, him, called it out to be healed, and it was healed. And, and a lot of the, most of the men in the synagogue were upset about it. And they were upset because people were starting to pay attention to Jesus and not them. And they were starting to follow Jesus and not the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And they were upset about that. Now, it wasn't that they didn't believe Jesus was really the Messiah. He had proven it. He'd healed people. He raised the dead. He'd spoken the word with power, and he, there were certain scriptures that was obvious he was fulfilling. So it wasn't a matter of, well, we, just, we have a problem with him because we don't believe he's the right one. No, it was clear he was the right one. He was the right Messiah. He wasn't an imposter. Had all the facts on the table for the Jews. Had all their scriptural facts right in front of them. A walking Messiah. The Messiah is right in front of their face, the Son of God, proving himself. But there was a hand, good number wouldn't believe, and there was something toxic inside building up in them. <clears throat> he had been, he'd lived falsely 
It's before all of them. You know, sometimes it's hard when somebody's watching you like this. You're like, oh, wait, what am I going to do wrong? Jesus did everything right. Jesus said everything right. And Jesus was benevolent on top of that to people who didn't even deserve it. So we come to this moment right here. And this text shows that you could examine it. They had no legal grounds to crucify Jesus. None at all. They were trying to. Go, go see the high priest. And he was interrogated before the high priest. And the best they could say is, he claims he's the son of God. What an outrage. And then go see Pilate. Pilate's like, I don't find anything wrong. Go to Herod. Herod's like, he didn't say anything to Herod. Go back to Pilate. He says just very few things to Pilate. Pilate's like, I still don't find anything wrong with him. And so there was this custom that they did at this time of year around the Passover where, you know, Pilate, okay, so Pilate, the, here's the politics. Pilate's the Roman guy over everything. It's an international government that they're under, okay? And then Herod's like a puppet governor for them as their nation, a king. And then the chief priests were like their religious group leader. So it's kind of like those layers of government. Well, during that time, during the Passover, there was this custom where they'd say, Hey, Pilate, great, we love you, you Roman, you know, and our Roman governor, <coughs> you know. And, uh, and Pilate's like, Yeah, I love you too. How about I release a, how about, it, you know, we let a prisoner out for you. I'll let a guy go. It's kind of like a little custom, little, you know, a little uh, Passover gift that they want to give. And so there'd be a criminal, and like, he let a criminal go free. Yeah, it was this custom of all the criminals. He'd pick out one. It's like, man, I'm going to let you go free. You can go. But they get to pick which criminal. You know, the, the people get to pick which criminal they want coming back around them, you know. And so they had, a, they had a handful of criminals, and they were called the insurrectionists. They were really violent, you know, political revolutionaries. They were just, it's not that they were protesting. They were just really bad. One of these violent revolutionaries was actually a murderer on top of us. He was the worst of the worst violent revolutionary, Barabbas. Barabbas committed murder. So say if you have 10 revolutionaries, they're all in prison, they're all in trouble for something. One of them's the baddest dude. He'd committed murder also. And Pilate knew uh, that they had that guy, and, and then Pilate's dealing with Jesus, so they called the king of the Jews, and and Pilate's like, you know, they're just, there's not, Pilate, like, I knew they just delivered him for envy. There's, there's nothing wrong with this guy. So he says, would you that I release Barabbas unto you? Because you want somebody, me to release somebody. I mean, would you re- that I release Christ unto you? Jesus, which is, Jesus, which is called the king of the Jews. They said, no way, no way, don't release him. He would be the most best candidate. There's nothing really on him, but he's apprehended, release him. And that's what Pilate's saying, there's nothing on him, just release him. No, they wanted the worst. Release Barabbas. And so Barabbas hopefully got saved. It would be great if he got saved realizing, you know, he should have been that other person on the cross. But he got released. This whole moment, this is an interesting thing, okay? This was planned by God. But by wicked hands, Jesus was crucified. That's what Peter said who God's determinate counsel caused us to be, and yet by wicked hands he was crucified. Now watch this. This whole moment, this whole moment where um, Jesus is maliciously taken and an innocent person is really illegally killed, there was one driving force behind it that the Bible says names right in the text. Humanly speaking, there's one driving force that put Jesus on the cross on the human side. And they said it was envy. Look at the verse there. 
He knew, Pilate says, he knew that for envy they had delivered him. Okay, why was Jesus put on a cross? Because the Bible says he was going to be, because the, the prophecies say so. But why was Jesus put on the cross on the human side? Because human beings were, these human beings were, the toxic envy was building up so much for three years that they finally apprehended him with no real reason. I mean, these are supposed to be spiritual men acting unspiritual and illegal. Grab him and take him and manipulate as much as they can their leaders to make sure he gets crucified. Envy is what delivered him to the cross. The irony of all this is the cross is what delivers us from envy and every other sin. What happens on the cross is what delivers you from envy and every other sin. But in this story, envy brought him to this place of maliciously taken and put on the cross. Lord, deliver us from envy. This is something that I think um, we want to talk about today. And because I think we struggle with it. Uh, you know, I do sometimes. We tend to struggle with, with envy. And, you know, the Bible shows here that envy can do so much damage. It could damage even the most important person to ever walk the earth. That's pretty damaging. It can disturb so many otherwise good relationships. I remember, I've told you this before, but I remember as a kid, I think it was a little bit after Christmas, maybe a day or two after Christmas in my neighborhood growing up in Mesa. Um, I had a couple friends. One of my friends, it was his, uh, his, his, I've told you, he, his older brother's name was John, but I hung out with him, and his older brother was John, about seven years older. Then I had another friend, and his older brother was Chip, was his name. So I didn't mess with the older brothers as much. I played with their younger brothers. One was over to the west of us. The other was over to the east of us. Christmas, I think it was the day after Christmas. You know, we all hang out. Hey, what did you get for Christmas? You got a bike. You got a ball. You got a whatever. And we're all kind of congregating up my driveway. And uh, we're sitting there, and I'm, I'm standing at the top of my driveway. My parents' driveway is a little bit steep compared to some of the other houses. And, and uh, I'm standing there, and, and the one neighbor, Chip, and his little brother, they got brand new bikes. A 10-speed, you know, and Chip got the 10-speed, and, uh, and Tracy, his little brother, got something else, and uh, they were riding around and everything, all happy. I mean, they are happy. We're watching, well, cool, you got a bike, they're riding around, and the other guy, John, and his younger brother and I are standing there, and, and John, I don't know, I think they got something for Christmas. It seemed fine. And I had a Nerf ball right there. I got more things than that for Christmas, but I had a Nerf ball. I had a Nerf football. I was just sitting there. And we were talking about playing, and, and, and I think Crispin was down there with Tracy, and the older brother, uh, Chip, was riding his 10-speed around like this in our front of our street at the end of our driveway, and I'm standing there, and John's standing next to me, and I got my ball, and I'm like, yeah, you know, we're sitting there, and I, I just feel like there's something building up in John next to me, you know? And again, I, I'm just... Just the dumb kid standing there, you know, and I got the ball. And, and it just kind of, he mumbled some things and said some things. And then all of a sudden he's like, hey, let me see that ball. I was like, oh, okay. I gave him my Nerf football. And he's like, watch this. And he was, what happened was he was watching the other guy, Chip, who's the same age, riding around joyously on his brand new bike. 
doing nothing wrong. And he's like, watch this. And he goes through, through it. I mean, it's like 30, uh, 40 feet away. Throws it, and, and it was like, it went like the ball went down, and it hit. It was such a perfect throw. That's the only thing good about this. I'm like, man, he's good. That's what I thought for a couple seconds. Such a perfect throw. And he goes right on the front tire, just in time, right at the bottom of the street, launched into the tire. He does a perfect endo and falls over. He was wearing shorts for long socks for some reason that day. Apparently, it wasn't that cold of a day after Christmas. And scraped up his knee. And, and, my, and when he threw that, I'm like, my one, for one or two seconds, I'm like, wow, that's a good throw. Then I'm like, whoa, that was bad. Because I see my friend's older brother just biff and just crash and scrape it. He's bleeding. He has like, you know, road rash. And he knocked that guy over and he's just like, heh, heh, heh. And then the, the little brother, the Chip's little brother goes, you hugged my brother. You threw it. And he was all mad at John. And, and, and I, I'm glad. Actually, I'm glad. I'm like, that's good. He loves his older brother because I've seen him fight sometimes. But at least they know they love each other. And so they, uh, and so there was kind of a tumult there. I'm like, well, what's going on, man? Why did he do that to Chip? And what's the big deal, you know? And, and then he was just had an attitude and walked off and everything. And then, and then I realized, wait a minute, he was, he was envious. And envy can disturb, um, can disturb our, our relationships. It definitely does it here. You know, in this, in, what does it mean to envy? It means to view, watch this, it means to view with uneasiness another person's success and to despise them on that account. To view with uneasiness another person's perk or success, and then on top of it, despise them on that account. It means to resent, to be spiteful, have animosity. Joseph in the Old Testament was by his brothers. Rachel and Leah seemed to have a little bit of a thing. Rachel envied her sister for having so many babies. Saul definitely with David. Envied David, disturbed that son-in-law there. And I see it disturb us sometimes. It did the ultimate disturbance by putting Jesus on the cross. I knew, Paul says, I know why they're bringing him here. There's no legal reason. There's no excuse. These are spiritual men, know the Bible, and yet it's pathetic that this envy is so toxic that they're putting a perfect person under a Roman, uh, manipulating him to get crucified here. Today, envy, let's talk about that, is paraded. We name businesses after it. Now look, somebody like, I can't believe you're making fun of people's business. I go to Envy Nails all the time. <laughs> Fine, go to Envy Nails. But like, could, let me ask you this. Just pause the time out. Everything that we do or think here should be a little different, right? We have different view. We're looking life through the Bible glasses. We don't want to just be look like everybody, look through our natural eyes, our fleshly eyes. So it's just weird that you see things like we even name businesses after envy. Why? I remember one time I, when I was a guy, when I was driving, when there was a guy, he had, this is in the late 80s, a guy had a really, in around our neighborhood, really nice truck, really nice Chevy truck, like 1988, 89 Chevy, lowered, roll pan, paint job, graphics on the side, nice wheels, Tinted windows. It was like, that's a good-looking truck, man. It's pretty cool. And the license plate said, yeah, you wish. <laughs> I was like, okay. You know, the Bible says, let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. 
but it's used as a business name. So use it. The media wants us to have envy, so we fill the social media content, and they want us to stir up a fight. But let's be honest, no matter how we package it, envy is a sin. No, for us, it might be a fashionable sin. Well, it's okay. But it's still a sin to God. Paul called it carnality, 1 Corinthians 3.3. 3. For ye, he told the Corinthians, ye are yet carnal because there's, there's envying among you. Paul said in Galatians 5.19, the works of the flesh are these. Uh, 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 he names all these horrible, terrible, wicked sins. And he says, and envying, works of the flesh. James 3.16, James says, for where envying is and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. I would suppose there was envy and strife and there was confusion in a very evil work to put a good person beyond a good person, the perfect person on the cross. So today we are called to act higher. We are called, we'll get to these points in a minute, we're called to act higher. The works of the flesh. So the Bible talks about, I just quoted you a scripture. The Bible talks about, Paul says, you know, there's the works of the flesh and there's the fruit of the spirit. Okay? If we go and just do what we naturally want to do, it's going to be the works of the flesh. And there's, they're kind of ugly. But if we yield to the Lord, let him have his way, the Holy Spirit farms us. We're like his field and there's fruit of the Spirit, like love and joy and peace and gentleness and long-suffering and temperance. He, he brings that out. So we as Christians are called to a higher, um, we're called to live higher than our natural works of the flesh. We need to today honestly see the truth about this deadly passion and what we can do about it. So here's our four points today. Here we go. Number, we're going to talk about envy. You're like, man, oh, I wanted to talk about resurrection stuff. And we are, we'll say that in just a minute. But I want to talk about something you might be battling. Or maybe one of your kids. Number one, envy can be distinguished from jealousy. Number two, envy can be deadly. Number three, envy can be disturbing. And number four, envy can be delivered from. And there's our good news right there, okay? Number one, let's talk about. So here's your Bible says, they took Jesus because of this drive, this animosity they had toward him. But don't confuse envy with jealousy. And I know sometimes you hear me say this, but I feel like we need to be accurate in how we use words. Jealousy is not a sin. If you want to go by the Bible use, we tend to use jealousy and envy as a synonymous words. But if you, if you really, really look at the words, it's not honest to do that. The very first time the word jealous is ever used, it's God says it of himself. He says, hey, Israel, you're my people. I redeemed you out of the land of Egypt. Don't have any gods before me. I am jealous. My name is jealous. You know what jealous means? It means to be zealous over that which rightfully belongs to you. I am jealous over my wife. And I ought to be. Before she was my wife and it was just a girl I knew, I didn't really have grounds to be jealous over her. But once she became my wife, mm-hmm. I'm, I, you know, she's probably, I mean, I tell her, you know what, that phone's not as good looking as me. Come on. You know. I put my picture on it, so. You know, I get a little jealous about the phone and she's like, honey, I'm just clipping coupons. Leave me alone, you know. <laughs> Oh no! I want to. Can I see the coupon? So, but but I get you know, and my wife probably does with me. If I'm busy doing something, she'll get a little jealous. That's okay, 
because jealous means that you have a legitimate concern about a rival who may be robbing the affection of the one you love. That's a good thing. We ought to be jealous. You ought to be glad God's jealous over you. God's jealous when you hear your attention is just filled with everything else except Him. He's like, hey, I saved you. Why don't you pay attention to me a little bit? That's what He says. Look at the use of it in the Bible. It's not used how we use it. So jealousy can, or envy can be distinguished from jealousy, whereas envy actually means to... Des- envy is combining two bad things and producing one bad thing. Envy combines basically hate and covetousness, and you bring them together. It means to desire another person's position, possession, or place, and then to despise them for having it. You, you take a covetous spirit, and you take the, the hate, and you combine them, and you have envy. It's not jealousy. You can only be jealous over something that you have possession of. You can only be jealous over something that you rightfully own. If you don't own it and you're all upset about it, then maybe you're envious or covetous. All right, so I'm just trying to help us through something here. I remember at school, when I went, I went to a public school, and I remember, a girl, I remember guys getting in fights, and I remember girls getting in fights. Usually the girls got in fights because they were envious at each other. And, you know, this girl has a boyfriend. And the other girls started being envious and chit-chatting. Next thing you know, a little cat fight, you know. And the boys were like, dude, watch out for the girl fights, man. You know, and they'd step back from it. So it can be distinguished from jealousy. Let's, let's walk through this now. So think about where you're at kind of in your heart, all right? It's okay to be jealous over the things you rightfully own. Number two, let's go to the next thing is, of our four points is can be deadly. We've already kind of said that. Well, you see it right here. That's deadly, isn't it? How many of us see, look, pastor, I don't even have a knife. I don't have knives or guns. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like a liberal or anything, but I just don't have guns. I, I don't want to hurt anybody. You know what? The most, the, the most powerful, the things that are really dangerous aren't the actual weapon. It's the passion that we let inside of us. And I'm one of them. Every one of us, Christian or non, is capable of basically any sin. Because of what's the old man and the old flesh, we have to die to that as Christians, but we're capable of the worst sins. So what I'm saying, number two, develop this point for a few moments. Envy can be deadly. Give you some examples. Here's um, Saul, the king, tall, uh, good-looking king. He has this fantastic son-in-law. Who would not want David as a son-in-law? Superman. And yet David was like, hey, Saul, I'll work for you. And David did the best in everything. He could sing the best. He could play the best. He could fight the best. And he did all this, and he's basically serving under Saul. But David started getting a lot of attention. Instead of Saul man, appreciating him, like, man, I'm so glad. I'm happy for my son-in-law here and helping us move forward and beating the Philistines. And this is great. Our country's doing well. Yeah, everybody's kind of focused on him, but that's okay. He's helping us go forward as a country. Instead of thinking that way, he thought of himself. He's getting all the attention. He's getting all the praise. Part of his problem, too, is he was disobedient to God, and God sent an evil spirit to him. Well, he'd see his son-in-law playing a harp, and it helped for a little while. And then he'd take a javelin and try to pin him against the wall. Boom! He'd try to kill his son-in-law, the best warrior in their country. 
It's deadly. Envy can be deadly. The priest and Jesus Christ. Stephen, in the New Testament, in Acts, Stephen was envied by the Sanhedrin, and they killed him. Paul, I think it's in Acts 13, when Paul traveled to some other Jewish synagogues in Asia Minor, he meets a bunch of Jews. The, the Gentiles and some other Jews started believing, excuse me, the gospel message that Paul was preaching. In other words, Paul was getting a crowd from preaching the gospel. And the unbelieving Jews moved with envy. You know what it caused them to do? Lie about Paul. Take Paul. Beat Paul. It was deadly. They almost killed him one time. Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who can stand before envy? Number three, the third point here, envy can be disturbing, as if deadly isn't disturbing. It can be, if it's not deadly, it can just disturb relationships. So here's a verse, Proverbs 14.30. It says, a sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. You know, Joseph, can you imagine being in Joseph's family? All these brothers, Joseph had all these brothers and Joseph was favored by God. He's given these revelations, these dreams. It's unfortunate that his father favored him. That didn't help matters. But his older brothers, who should be older, some of them may have been grandparents by this time, they're looking at it and they're envious of little brother. Nice coat, favored by dad, getting these revelations from God. And they envy him so much so that they do the worst thing to their own flesh and blood. They take him. They lie about him. They um, throw him in a pit. They sell him to some Midianites who go sell him into Egypt. His own brothers did that. And then they go back to dad and they have this, oh, dad, here's his, here's his clothes are ripped up and look at the blood on it. He must have got torn by an animal. And they lie. You know, the Bible says they envied their brother. That, you know, that kind of disturbed the brotherly relationships. I wonder, how many more, I wonder how many more siblings would get together today if they would just put aside the envy. You know, a lot of people get together on Resurrection Sunday, Easter. I wonder how many of us could just finally go to somebody's lunch because, you know, who cares that your brother got a new boat? So what? Tell him to take you out fishing. You know, if you just were so envious. Sometimes envy gets in the way of our relationships. Moses and Aaron, Moses and Aaron were leading the children of Israel. And then this, there was this, kind of this tumult. Of, uh, who was it? Dathan and Byron, someone. It's actually cousins of Moses. And they said, you just think you could run everything, Moses. You're not the only one. And they envied Moses and Aaron. And that caused a big problem in the camp of Israel. Sometimes I, I, saw, I saw a new two ladies, two young ladies. One of them was getting married and the other one was not. They end, both ended up getting married and one was getting married and the other one was not, but the other one just like, was very caustic toward the one that was getting married. And, and, uh, and their language and their communication, and they wouldn't even talk to, uh, in person to the other one. And I was like, this is bad. It was because of some envy. Sometimes, ask yourself, what, do I, what happens when I hear something good being said about somebody else? That's true. Ask yourself, what happens when I hear something good being said about somebody else? Am I mildly disturbed? That could be a sign of envy. Sometimes we get disturbed. We might, have, we might find fault with somebody. Some good said about somebody else, and then you want to find fault back at them. And then you want to blame them for the way your attitude is. Perhaps it's a sin recovering. Envy, again, is, is the rottenness of the bones. 
So, so like we can be here today and be like, yeah, no, we're reading this stuff. This Jesus was crucified, and yeah, those stuffy Pharisees, they ended him and put him up on the cross. What a bunch of hypocrites. And then we go home and like, how come that guy's got that? I don't like that guy. And we start acting envious to a neighbor or to a fellow brother or to a sibling. It's just the same thing. It just hasn't built up enough gas yet to explode into a murder. And so Jesus, Jesus was put on the cross because, so here's the last point. How can I get this sound heart? So number five, I want to be delivered from envy. All right, here's the Bible today. I want to be delivered from envy. God, deliver me from my sins in practice. I don't want to be afflicted by this. I don't want to have envy. I don't want to have covetousness. There's a lot of things we talk about today about being delivered from. But let me give some points about being delivered from envy itself. Number one, a person needs to be saved. To be delivered from envy, first of all, you just need to be saved. That is, you need to have all your guilt uh, taken care of in front of God. That is, um, how could I stand before God with all my sins piled up in front of Him and expect that I'm going to go to heaven? I need to be saved. That is, I need to put my faith, at some point in my life, I need to decide to put my personal faith, you tell yourself this, at some point in my life, I need to decide to put my personal faith in Jesus Christ to be my Savior. And when you do, God calls it being justified. That means He clears you past, present, and future. Legally, in His eyes, you're cleared of the guilt. The practice is another thing. You're cleared of the guilt of all of your sins. The Bible says, in whom, Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. How do I have redemption? Through the blood that Jesus was bleeding out on the cross. How do I have forgiveness of sins? Putting my faith in that God-man on that cross. That gives me forgiveness of sins with God. And God calls just having that faith righteous. The righteousness of God does not come by doing. The righteousness of God does not come by trying and being a good person. The righteousness of God comes by faith. So I, Jesus, I believe you died in my place. I was the Barabbas in a sense. You died in my place. Be my Savior. The moment you make that spiritual decision and call on Him with your mouth and believe in your heart, you are saved. You're clear. You're safe with God legally. Have you ever done that? Everybody needs it just like you had a birthday. Jesus talked about having a spiritual birthday. Everybody needs a day where it's like you've put your faith in Jesus. He's your Savior from here on out. Now, how you're living is another issue. And that can be dealt with. But being safe and being forgiven is the main thing. Again, his, what he did on the cross delivers us from the guilt of our sin. Now, the practice of our sin, what we need to do is if I'm saved, I know I'm saved. I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm going to heaven. And many of you are. But if I still like, yeah, man, I just have this problem. I always envy this other pastor. Or, you know, my, my, my friend over there got a raise and I didn't. I'm really upset at him about that, you know. And I battle envy. Well, the first thing I need to do, if I battle envy and you battle envy of somebody, of another person, the, the, the thing you need to do is confess it to God. You know, when you, just, when you just say out loud to God the very sin you're struggling, you, you're getting miles ahead. The Bible says, um, Proverbs 28, 13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Confess it as a sin. Number, another, the next thing is, how do, I, how do I get delivered from envy? Can, well, you need to be saved first to be delivered from the guilt of 
your sin. Secondly, you should confess if it's if something you're battling inside, a passion you're battling, confess it to God. Thirdly, depend on the Holy Spirit of God. Depend on the Holy Spirit. Look what it says. You can follow me if you can reach Galatians there, Galatians 5. It says in Galatians 5, um, verse 25 and 26, It says there, uh, verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. That is, when you're a Christian, you have God's Holy Spirit in you. If you're not a Christian, you don't have His Spirit in you yet. Okay, You're just trying to murk around on your own. And it's hard to be good and do good that way. But if you're, in the, if you're saved, you have the Spirit. So if you live in the Spirit, that means you have Him, then walk that way. I need to walk in dependence of God's Holy Spirit. And then the next verse says, let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. How else can I do that? How else can I get to, to, to get through the, the sin struggle? Just depending on the Holy Spirit answers a major aspect of that. Depend on the Holy Spirit to produce new passions in you. Did you hear what I said? My natural passions and your natural passions aren't the best. They're mingled with original intent and sin. So that I could love somebody, but then I could have bad love. I could be, have a good anger, but then I could have a bad anger. I could have, uh, you know, uh, different passions, but it's mingled with sin and selfishness. But when I walk in the Spirit, God can sift through that and make it a good passion so that I ha- truly have love and I truly have joy and so that I have long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness. And, I, and the Holy Spirit helps me to have the right passions and put away the wrong and die to the lust of my flesh and walk in His Spirit. The Holy Spirit can help you today if you're wrestling with envy. I remember as a teenager, I did a little bit. I wrestled with envy. And then as I've gotten older as a pastor, I've sometimes felt it, and then I see it in others. All right? So depend on the Holy Spirit. And then the next thing, do everything you can to esteem others. Look in Philippians 2.3. Philippians 2.3, it said just a couple, perhaps a couple pages over. Nope, a couple books over. Philippians 2.3. What else is going to help me with envy? Well, you've got to be saved to get your guilt cleared. Number two, you've got to confess your sin. Confess that as sin, you between you and God. And number three, depend on the Holy Spirit. Number four, esteem. This is where we're at, Philippians 2, 3. It says, Paul says, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Esteem means, you know, you know what? What you got, that's good. You deserve that raise, man. You know, don't, don't lie. Like, I'm glad you got a raise. I'm glad you got a, a newer car. Why don't you take me for a ride? You know? I'm glad a, a, a blessing happened to you. I'm glad for that. And you, you esteem others, and it takes humility to do that. Jesus said, or it goes on to talk about the humility of Jesus, how he esteemed us and came down to earth for us. Esteem others. Number, and then number five, okay, delivered from envy. Be saved. That is, your guilt needs to be cleared with God. Number two, confess it as sin. Number three, depend on the Holy Spirit. Number four, esteem others that have a blessing. Esteem others that are enjoying a success instead of um, uh, looking down on them. Number five, be charitable towards another in their success. Be charitable. So here, 1 Corinthians 13. Look in 1 Corinthians 13. There's a bunch of Bible verses we could look at, but it says it's describing charity. It's describing this God-like 
love, which the Bible translators in this chapter said, let's use the word charity to, this is a unique thing, says about charity, that is love. What is love truly like? True love suffers long as yet still kind. It envies not. If I'm envying somebody, I don't love them. Well, I do, Pastor Henry. Not according to the Bible. He says charity suffers long as kind. Charity envieth not. That means it must be the opposite. Maybe you hate then. Uh, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. I need to learn to be charitable about another person's success. Again, Saul saw David succeeding. Boy, he, Saul was all about himself. Because he was all about himself, it was very natural for him to be envious at David. But he should have said, man, this is great. My son-in-law is winning victories left and right. But he didn't. He looked at it in a different way. Oh, John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist? The great Baptist coming out of the wilderness, you know. The other day, we were teasing. We had like grasshoppers around here. And uh, one flew in the in the classroom, and I was like, oh, it's a grasshopper, and I think I kicked him or something, and I told Jerry, I'm like, a real Baptist would have ate him, you know, <laughs> but I didn't, you know, John did, but uh, I, I didn't, I didn't, is there, is there a tissue over here, babe, somewhere? but I, I, I was like, well, a real Baptist would have ate that grasshopper, but you know, John the Baptist is a unique guy, he had a lot of people listening to him, big crowds, um, he was baptizing all, I think Dylan's got one for me, thanks Dylan, appreciate it. So think about John the Baptist, okay? He was the forerunner of Jesus, was second cousin, and uh, he's preaching and everything, and a lot of people are coming, and he's just, he doesn't care what anybody thinks, obviously, about how he dresses, I mean, and his diet. He doesn't care, and, uh, and people are being baptized, repenting of their sins. Yes, I want to be ready for God's kingdom and God's Messiah and everything. And then when Jesus comes on the scene, Jesus comes on the scene, and John's like, that's the one right there I've been telling you about, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. And he baptized Jesus and everything, and people started leaving John to follow him. And, um, and then when people started leaving John to follow Jesus, and Jesus' disciples, and Jesus' disciples were doing baptisms now. In John chapter 3, somebody came running up to John and said, Pastor Jesus. The, the one whom you bear witness, the, the, the same is, is, is preaching and teaching, and all men are following him. Everybody's following him now. And John's like, well, you know, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from, from, from above. And you yourselves bear witness, that you yourselves know that I said I'm not the Christ. I'm just sent before him. And, and uh, he that has the bride is the bridegroom, but I'm the friend of the bridegroom. And so I see this... Uh, 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 bridegroom getting his bride that is all the followers and so I'm his friend and I'm happy for him and this my joy therefore is fulfilled he must increase and I must decrease that's what John said the idea is that John was happy about Jesus's success instead of saying you're not following me now somebody would have had to go up to John and say why are we here again I want to tell everybody about Jesus looks like you're doing a good job they're all following him that's what was happening be charitable about another person's success. John was, Saul wasn't. Hey, man, you got a new job? That's great. I'd sure like to get one too, but you know, maybe you can give me a little insight on my next job app. Instead of being like, 
can't believe that guy got a better job than me. That's not grow up. Or, hey, man, you got a new car, like I said earlier. You got a new car? Yeah. I can't wait to get rid of this little Hyundai. <laughs> not really, Johnny. That's a good car. My son, so. he, he bought it. So You're like, hey, man. Oh, you could just say to Dylan, Dylan, you got the truck. I'm happy for you. So when I need to move stuff, come on over, Dylan. <laughs> hey, man, you got a new boat? I'm happy for you. Take me out on it. <laughs> you got a bigger house? Great. Now I'm bringing my whole family over. I expect dinner. You know? <laughs> so I, I'm just trying to say we, we have to find a way to, again, as Americans, we have to find a way to look at other people's success differently and teach ourselves to feel differently about it. A boxer, I've seen boxers who they lose and they commend their opponent who beat them. You know, the guy was pretty good, man. He did a good job. I got to take it to him, you know. And I'm like, well, at least he's, command he's commending the guy that beat him. That's pretty good. The baseball player who's, whose teammate outdoes him on the home run record for the year uh, commends his teammate. That's good. The girl who watches her friend become more attractive and, and uh, popular learns to still be her friend. Uh, the single lady who attends a wedding after waiting a long time with appreciation still yet for the bride and groom. The pastor who prays and compliments and rejoices over another pastor who has a larger church and hasn't been around as long. Those are ways to rejoice with others and not be envious. So let's pray to us, let's pray to our let's pray to God something like this. God deliver me from such a passion, lest I crucify anyone. God, deliver me from such a passion lest I crucify someone. And say, God, no matter what, grant me a spiritual heart for others, not just my natural carnal heart. We're all naturally carnal. Say, God, let me have a spiritual heart on how I view everything.